me get situated here. All right. Reading a book is a dangerous thing. <laughs> anyway, uh, our study today is taken from uh, this book by Jim Berg. It's called Essential uh, Virtues. Uh, and this book um, highlights the marks of a Christ-centered life. That's what it does. And uh, our study today is taken from the first three uh, chapters um, of this book. And uh, I, I would love to be able to teach and um, repeat all the things that Jim Berg is able to bring from the Word of God. And I know we could all prosper from that. But I don't think I could, I could restate the Word of God Jim Berg magnifies with the excellence it deserves. So instead, I recommend for anyone uh, desiring to serve Christ with true Christ-like maturity to read the book and especially all of the scriptures it illuminates. Uh, reading a book is a good thing, but reading uh, the Word of God uh, from which it is taken is superior uh, to the book always. Um, pastor has a copy of the book in a lobby bookcase, which can be borrowed if you'd like. You can borrow mine if you'd like. Or if you prefer, you can purchase one, and I think mine was under $20. Uh, some of the other resources uh, that I use for this are Bible.org, which is free online if you have a computer, and Word Search, uh, which uh, is a purchased program. So uh, let's pray. Father, uh, as always, I thank you, Lord. Um, don't want to lose service here. Lord, I thank you. Uh, Father, that you have given me uh, the opportunity to uh, study uh, for this Sunday school lesson, Lord. I know that it's um, when you do that for me, Father, it's uh, uh, things, Lord, that I that I need. And I just pray, Father, that uh, the things that we talk about this morning, Lord, from your word, uh, Lord, that you will magnify your word and that, uh, Lord, if there are needs here this morning of uh, others and I just pray, Father, that you would meet those needs through your word. Uh, help us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the key scriptures that we'll uh, be reading today and uh, referring to often, I think I'm going to read them about three times, is uh, found in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. It's 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Um, <clears throat> it says there, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. Peter says there is a specific reason we should should apply all diligence to add to our character the list of character qualities we just read. He says now for this very reason also. So in order to see that reason, we have to back up to verses 2 through 4 that says 
grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Peter lets us know that grace and peace are multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as we become more intimate in the how, the why, and when God has provided for us in Christ, we begin to realize the grace and peace He has bestowed upon us. Salvation, life-threatening issues, trials, tribulations, persecutions, and even our own failures and sins when laid at the feet of Christ in faith and in repentance are provided for by God's grace. Being reconciled with God brings peace to our conscience and the knowledge of His sovereignty brings us calmness in the face of trials or adversity, knowing that God has our best interest at heart. If you and I are missing any of these, we need to dig deeper into His Word, having faith in what we read, applying them to how we live, while we trust Him to help us live and recognize the grace and peace He has provided for us. The more we learn of Him and His commandments and follow Him in obedience, the more His grace and peace towards us are multiplied. Living godly lives is granted to us through His divine power, and He commands us to be holy and to live godly. The true knowledge of Him who has made a way for us for salvation and calls us to salvation allows us to see and gives us the light of His glory worthy of all praise and honor as Creator and Master to whom we owe all. It is because of His worthiness and His excellence as God and as the only man capable of fulfilling all of God's law and obedience with complete righteousness in everything that He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them we may become partakers of His divine nature. We are not only called to salvation, but we are also called to be partakers of His divine nature, living in obedience to God the Father. God's desire for us is to be like Christ and mirror Christ to a lost world that needs Him. Peter states this in his first epistle, in chapter 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says there, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. He says we are to show forth the excellencies of God. This is possible because Christ has made a way for us to escape the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now it is for this very reason, Peter says, 
Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. And it is in these verses that Peter illustrates and develops for us what a mature Christian will possess as he is obedient to follow and apply God's Word to his life. The Lord has already provided the first part. That work is completed. By His divine power and His divine nature, He has called us to salvation and given us a new nature. And we are partakers of His divine nature because He opened our eyes to the true knowledge of Him who called us. And He gave us faith to believe. He has set us free from the corruption that is in the world through lust and given us the ability to choose righteousness over the lust. We are people born bent on sinning, but we now have the ability to choose God's will over sin. He has supplied everything for us pertaining to our new life in Christ and for our growth in godliness. And we have the glory and excellence of Christ as our guide and roadmap to pattern after or emulate. Now, for this very reason, God wants us to step up and work in His work by applying all diligence to add to our faith. He wants sweat on our brow and constant forward motion by working hard and by being thorough in that work as if our lives depended on it. Anything the Lord desires for us to add to our faith is worth working hard for. And we have that example in the life of Jacob, who worked many years for the hand of Rachel in marriage. Jacob loved Rachel, and the many years that he worked for his bride seemed to him only a few days. You can read that in Genesis chapter 29. God wants us to love him and to love his son Jesus and to love his word by demonstrating our love through diligent work, cultivating, watering, growing the example of Christ in our lives. Understand that I'm not talking about working for our salvation. Instead, I'm talking about working in our sanctification as God works towards our growth in Christ-likeness. Okay, we need to add to our faith moral excellence. We first need to answer the question, What is moral excellence? From the first page of the Bible to the last page of God's Word, we are given the epitome of moral excellence as God reveals His moral will for sinful man. Bible.org says this, Moral excellence has to do with excelling in the moral will of God, which of course, is to touch every area of the Christian life. But it is important to recognize that by moral excellence, we are not simply talking about a list of taboos or overt sins such as adultery, fornication, drunkenness, lying, gossiping, stealing, and cheating. Moral excellence means the pursuit of the moral will of God in every area of life. 
This includes values, attitudes, priorities, goals or purposes, devotion, and Christ-like character in the home, at the office, at church, as well as in our hobbies and the entertainment we pursue. Moral virtue is something that should characterize the Christian everywhere and in everything. Jesus taught Peter that he needed moral excellence in order to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We find that in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. He says there, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does any one light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The Lord taught Moses the same thing, and we can read that in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. That we find Moses saying, See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them. For that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call upon Him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as the whole law which I am setting before you today? Moses says the same thing Peter says because they had the same teacher so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Moses wanted the children of Israel to proclaim the excellencies of God to those who were in the land that they were going to possess. One publication that I read while studying for this lesson asked the question, why does man need moral excellence? The person that asks this question must have missed the obvious that God commands it. However, Peter lets us know the condition of the man that lacks moral excellence. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 9 says, For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. The Greek word Peter uses for short-sighted is the same word from which we get our English word myopic. The Greek word for myopic means to close the eye. Peter is telling us that the people who lack these qualities does so because they make themselves blind to the things of God. We don't have to imagine that they choose what they desire over what God commands us because God 
through Isaiah the prophet, lets us know the truth and see. The prophet Isaiah pronouncing woe on the children of Israel that had disregard for the excellencies of God said this to them in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 18 through 24. It says there, Woe to those who drag inequity with the cords of falsehood and sin as if with cart ropes who say, Let him make speed. Let him hasten his work that we may see it. And let the purpose of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come to pass that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. Therefore, as a tongue of fire consumes stubble and dry grass collapses into the flame, so their root will become like rot and their blossoms blow away as dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Kind of reads like today's headlines somewhat. Void of moral excellence. Void of moral truth. And disregard for the absolutes of the Bible led the children of Israel to the kind of behavior that caused God through Isaiah to pronounce woe on them. They exhibited absolute moral decay, inequity, lying, blatant sinfulness, mocking God, calling good evil and evil good, claiming to be wiser than God, finding honor in drinking wine, and courage in strong drink, pardoning the wicked for a bribe, and taking away the rights of those who followed God. Anyone who rejects the knowledge of God can only live ungodly because he is ungodly. God offers us an abundant life, one that makes a man feel alive, real, and fulfilled. Satan makes an offer to the believer as well, but his offer is counterfeit. Satan's offer is void of God and void of God's moral truths and therefore void of moral excellence. His offer is packed with things that are designed to remake man after his image while luring him to destruction with promises of pleasure, possessions, and power. Anyone who follows the godless mindset of the world under Satan's influence will do so with a high price of his relationship with God. Rejecting God's truth and choosing the world's sinful offer of pleasure, possessions, and power may make us feel temporary alive and real and fulfilled, but they leave a person empty, void of God, destructive to others with the promise of God's wrath. The Apostle Paul describes this in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness 
of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Also, the, the Apostle Paul describes us in this condition. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as, even as the rest. But God, being rich in His mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Faith is the foundation God uses to build the list of virtues he gives us through Peter. However, Jim Berg asked the question, is there a particular significance in the order of these traits? And if there is, must we develop the previous trait fully before we can proceed to the next trait in the list? He answers that question in the very next sentence and says, the grammatical construction in this passage indicates there is indeed a sequence involved. None of the other lists repeat the previous trait while exhorting the believer to build the next trait upon it. My analogy would involve building a house. When a person builds a house, the first thing he needs is the finances available for everything needed. Okay, so we have the finances for our house, i.e., His divine nature and power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Now that we have the finances, we need a blueprint. We have that also. God's moral will for sinful man. If we follow the blueprints, the completed house will be exactly what the designer planned. Now we need a builder who will first lay a firm foundation for our house. And we have that. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. With the finances ready, the blueprints drawn up, all of the materials purchased, and the builder willing and able, the construction begins. First, the foundation is dug and poured. And when it cures, the construction begins with the floor of the first story being laid and then the exterior walls for the first floor with some interior stud walls as well are erected then the second story floor is laid and the interior walls for the second story with interior stud walls as well are erected after that the studs for the roof are erected at this point 
We can't begin installing drywall to the interior of the house without first having the roof sheeted and shingled. Otherwise, if it rained, the drywall would be ruined. Even with the roof completed, we wouldn't install the drywall to the interior walls without first applying the sheet goods to the exterior walls. Again, the drywall could be ruined if if it rained. At some point during the construction, the builder may ask the homeowner to perform some sweat equity by working and helping in some of the minor things of the construction. All of the supplies have been purchased and may even be installed to some degree. There's a myriad of things the builder might ask the homeowner to do. Painting or cleaning up or installing kitchen cabinet handles or laying tile floor even. Providing sweat equity, the homeowner, aside from saving money, has a greater investment and understanding in what it takes to build and maintain the house. As the homeowner helps, he must rely on the instructions of the builder and the help of his crew. In the case of adding to our faith moral excellence, God is the designer and architect providing the blueprints of his moral will for sinful man. Jesus Christ is both the financier who pays for everything in full and the builder who lays the foundation. The Holy Spirit is his crew that constructs the Christian of God's design. And in that construction, the Christian is asked for sweat equity towards his growth to become more like Christ. Let's look at our verse again in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5-7. through 7. It says there, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. Bible.org says this, Each quality is to be produced in the sphere of the preceding quality. Each seems to grow out of the soil and climate of the other. But that is not all. The new quality supplements and perfects the preceding until we reach the capstone, which is love, the goal, and that which is the epitome of Christ-like service. But the point is, we cannot have the capstone without the rest of the building blocks of the pyramid. This is not to say that we cannot produce love until we have produced all of these qualities to maturity. But there is a progression and a mutual dependency and that we can show love only to the degree that we are developing the qualities, the other qualities. The point is, each one becomes a productive sphere or the soil out of which the next quality grows. As I studied for this Sunday school lesson, the one thing that the Holy Spirit brought the most conviction for in my life is moral excellence. If you noticed, I haven't said anything, had anything to say about any of the other virtues in the list Peter gives us. 
The reason for that is because I see in the list that virtue or moral excellence, God's moral will encompasses the total sum of all the virtues listed. We are to both possess these virtues and increase them. God's moral will for you and I needs to be the one single focus of our grasp after faith in Christ that will highlight all of these virtues with which we can then work on each one of them individually with the help of the Holy Spirit who helps us to mature as Christians and own true Christ-likeness. God doesn't want us to have moral averageness. God doesn't want us just to have moral goodness. The pursuit of moral excellence is not merely a matter of what is good over what is bad, but it is a matter of that which excels, that which is best, that which is superior. God wants us to have moral excellence. Mediocrity is worthy is unworthy of blame, but it is also unworthy of praise. God wants us to show forth His praises or excellence as we live our life for Him in a sinful world by exhibiting the likeness of Christ as owners of His moral excellence and not just displayers of it. It needs to be real. Jesus taught this as well in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. He says there, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other also to him. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus says here that mediocrity won't do at all, and it brings no praise. He commands that which is superior. If you and I as believers aren't diligently cultivating these virtues of Christ-likeness in, our, in the new life that Christ has given us, if we aren't moving forward, then we are stalled. We are at a standstill. And we are ignoring the Word of God that tells us to move forward in diligent work. And, an, and in effect, we are backsliding. Peter said we are short-sighted, myopic, closing the eye. If we are backsliding, we are sliding back into the world and will be taking on the likeness of the world 
and feeding our old natures. The Word of God warns us to be focused on eternal things. But if we ignore the commands of God and our focus is turned away from Him, then we will focus on temporal things that bring temporary pleasure, possessions, and power, which will not last and and add up to nothing eternally. As I studied for this, I thought about making a list of those things that might draw us away from Christ. Instead, I thought of my own list uh, of pleasures and possessions and power um, that would draw me to Christ. The greatest pleasures a Christian can have are first the knowledge of being loved by God, knowing the creator of everything loves me and knows me intimately. He loves me so much that he sent his own son to die for my sins. There is great pleasure in knowing his love bought for me eternal security. Secondly, there is great pleasure in pleasing him, walking with him in obedience, with righteousness not my own, but belonging to him and credited to my account. One needs only compare times of sin and the anguish it causes us to realize the pleasure of obedience and walking in righteousness which pleases him. There are, there are no greater pleasures. The greatest possessions a Christian can own are first is salvation, bought and paid for by Christ. And secondly, the Holy Spirit given as a guide, our teacher and our helper who seals us with surety until the return of Christ. Thirdly, our faith, knowing God has a plan and he will provide. Fourth, the ability to choose righteousness over sin. Fifth, and perhaps the greatest of all, being a child of God and a joint heir with Christ, having God as my Father. There are no greater possessions. The greatest power is the will of God focused upon believers, which makes all His precious and magnificent promises possible. There is no greater power than that. So how can you and I help to ensure we are moving forward and working diligently towards Christ-likeness by cultivating the essential virtues Peter gives us? Psalm 55, verses 16 through 17 says, As for me, I shall call upon God. And the Lord God will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will complain and murmur. And he will hear my voice. The psalmist says he will cry out to God evening, morning, and noon. Because prayer is vital in the Christian life. And yes, we all know this. However, when we begin to fail to pray and cry out to God for help, expecting he can can and does give us, our petitions according to His will, then we can expect to fail if we fail to pray. Ask God for help. Ask God for direction. 
Ask God for wisdom. And while we're asking, let's not fail to ask for growth in moral excellence. Let's ask God to expose to us where we are lacking and what we are lacking in and in how to use it as he supplies it. His answer will come. And when it does, we need to be diligent in obedience to do and apply what's needed. Psalm 119, verses 9 to 11 says, How can a man, young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need to be personally consuming the Word of God because without a constant face-to-face relationship with God in His Word, we will surely fail to grow and will definitely backslide. Ever since Pastor Elward has been here, he has provided a printed handout of a Bible reading schedule for all of us. If we are not in the Word daily, receiving God's guidance and instructions, how could we ever hope to grow? Set aside a time every day to read a chapter or two from the Word of God and try to be consistent in that time. However, even if we miss the appointed time, don't fail to read His Word. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. After reading and studying God's Word, it is very helpful to meditate, sitting or lying quietly, contemplating and mulling over what God has given us from his Word. To my list of pleasures, I could have added one more thing. Falling asleep meditating over something God has given me from His Word and waking up in the morning with it still there. God has provided many answers in such meditation. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in, the ho- in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Growth is accomplished through sharing the word through prayer and through singing with our families. Sharing the word with Joan, my children, my grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren might put some of them to sleep but it always helps me. Sometimes Joan and I listen to old sermons or Sunday school lessons, which is also helpful. Um, Those are always free. Psalm chapter 1, uh, Psalm 122, chapter 1, verse 1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Applying all diligence to attend church services every time, they are held is one certain way to get a grasp of God's Word and instruction for applying it. What we don't hear can't help us. And what we need to hear but don't 
can certainly curtail and even stunt Christian growth. Missing church can be contagious, especially to less mature, newer Christians. As well, serving in church in any capacity is a help towards Christian maturity and Christ-likeness. Our Savior came to serve, and we need to serve. I am trying to step on toes with these things. However, not on the toes of those who are providentially hindered at times from doing these things. If anyone has mediocrity, which is averageness, in doing any of these things, those are the toes that need stepping on. If we need to be coaxed into praying by someone else, or if we neglect to read the Word of God without being coaxed, if we never meditate on the Word of God, or the family altar is broken down, or we often miss church on a regular basis, or someone else has to drag us here, those are the toes that need stepping on. Also, if we aren't stepping on any toes, helping others to pray, giving a Bible study, or trying to drag someone else to church, or not being a servant here in the church, those toes need stepping on too. Discipleship is important and helpful for the Christian maturity, both on the one being discipled and the one discipling. So that's the study this morning. Are there any questions or comments? All right, well, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, uh, for your word. Uh, Father, I just uh, pray that you would uh, magnify your word uh, that we read today, Lord. Uh, Use it uh, in all of our hearts, Father. Help us to, uh, Lord, diligently work uh, to supply the moral excellence, Lord, that we are to have to serve you, Lord. Lord, to be able to walk with you in maturity, to be able to serve you, Lord, with maturity and do the things, Father, uh, that you desire for us to do. I just pray that you would work in every heart here. Help us all to grow. And, uh, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that you are the one that supplies the need, uh, the things that are needed, and you are the one that, uh, Lord, uh, gives us uh, the instructions of how to use them. And uh, we just thank you and praise you, Lord, for your work and your hand in our lives. Father, we pray uh, for the uh, coming preaching, Father. We pray that you would uh, help us to grow through that, Father. Uh, Help us to worship you, Lord, with true worship. And uh, I just praise you and thank you, Lord, uh, especially for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we finished a little early.